Welcome to How They Get Stuff Done, where we ask successful people about the productivity habits behind their success. Side effects of listening to this show may include elevated levels of motivation, acute feelings of inspiration, and lasting improvements to your productivity. Now, here's your host, Peter Akis. Hey, folks. Today, I'm speaking with Steve Pavlina. Steve is one of the world's most successful personal development bloggers. To date, he has had over 100 million visits to his website, stevepavlina.com. Steve has also written more than 1,700 articles on a range of personal growth topics, including productivity. He offers several courses, one of which we discuss in the episode, and he's the author of the book, Personal Development for Smart People, which has been translated into more than a dozen languages. Steve and I discuss the relationship we have with our work, how FOMO can help you complete 30-day challenges, the role your heart plays in productivity, and much more. Enjoy the show. Hey, Steve Pavlina, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. Fun to be here. Yeah, Steve, so you are in Vegas, um, and I, I've been to Vegas once, and when I was there, it was very sunny and warm. Is it sunny and warm there right now? No, it's uh, cool out. It's 46 degrees right now. Well, that's, what, Celsius 8-ish, I guess? Probably better than what we have here, though, right now. So one of, one of my recent realizations is sunny weather is actually really conducive to productivity. Would you agree with that? Uh, no. I actually, I probably get more done during the winter when it's sunny. I want to go out more. Wow. Lucky you for, for me, because it's really dark here. So <laughs> I feel lately that's been tricky. You know, if there's a sunny day, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good one. Um, I love the early morning hours when it's dark and it's like I'm in my office. And oftentimes I like to get a, a you know, an article done before the sun even comes up. So that's kind of a nice feeling. We get like 330 days of sun here. We have plenty of that. <laughs> So the dark time, you know, when it gets dark and cool, that's like a privileged time of year. It's, it's extra nice sometimes to have that variety. Yeah, maybe it's just about what you don't have because we have, you know, like a winter where it's pretty dark most of the time. So then when it's sunny, you're like really enjoying it, right? So it could be that you're just kind of, um, you have too much sun. So I, I want to ask you something um, which I'll be asking every single guest on the show. And that is... Uh, outwardly, Steve, and objectively speaking, you're a pretty successful person. Um, you run one of the most popular personal development blogs on the internet. Uh, you're an accomplished speaker. You published a book, which as far as I know, is a, is a pretty popular book as well. So objectively successful but um, and productive. But how productive do you feel, Steve? Uh, pretty productive, actually. Um, but not. I don't feel overworked and overstressed. I feel like I've been in the flow for quite a long time, which is a great feeling. And so when you say you feel in the flow, are we talking flow like the, what is the Hungarian American psychologist whose name I can't pronounce that kind of flow? Yeah, <laughs> or I know who you're talking about and I can't pronounce his last name either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that book covers it on a very mental level, but uh, I would say for me, like the key to being in the flow has more to do with the relationship I feel with what I'm working on. That's one thing that really evolved a lot in my productivity philosophy over time was like going from framing it totally mentally, um, kind of stuck in my head to framing it more based on um, the feeling I have in how I'm relating to whatever I'm doing in the moment. Yeah. The, you know, one of my students recently said productivity is all psychology. So you just made me think about that because I think a lot of people, especially people who are used to like watching maybe my videos on YouTube or something, they're often very rational, very logical. Install this app, set it up this way, use it that way. But you're kind of referring to an additional component of productivity. So if you had to say, um, let's say I ask you, productivity is more of a rational challenge or an emotional one? Which one well, of those two sides would you fall on? It's like... 90% emotional. Like we, we scrape that 10% off and we turn that into books because that's the easy part to do. So then we yeah. get all productivity books with all the how-to steps. But then let me ask you this, like how often do you actually do that? You know, like do you actually find yourself being really productive, applying all those techniques and using all those apps? Um, that's tough. You know, that doesn't always land well. I find that when I read a book, I'm excited for like a day or two, and then I reorganize my system, and then I kind of just ignore it and go back to my old way of doing things. <laughs> Maybe those are just bad books, Steve. 
Well, I've read a lot of bad books then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I read productivity books in the hundreds by now, but especially in my 20s. Yeah. So you said you like to think of the relationship that you have with your work. Can you explain how you realize what is your relationship to your work? Like, how are you aware of this? Because that, that sounds like a lens or a frame of looking at it that people may just not have thought of before. It's just like work is work. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I notice like some things I will just do automatically because I love them because I enjoy them. It's never hard to get myself to write. For instance, I never get writer's block. I could just write, 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 write. But other things I would put off, procrastinate, delay for a long time. And so, so then I started noticing like, what's the difference there? You know, why, why am I approaching certain tasks with ease and flow and lightness and other tasks just, they feel heavy and uh, annoying, irritating, frustrating, tedious. And I realized like, it's all about how I'm approaching the task. It's all about the framing. I mean, any task is kind of just, it's a thing to be done. Most of the tasks I do are just typing, <laughs> so, you know, so pushing buttons on a keyboard, clicking a mouse, uh, things like that. <laughs> so how complicated are they really? You know, but it's like how we, how we frame them mentally. The, there's mental work to be done, of course. Uh, but I, I noticed like if I approach certain tasks differently, I could take something that was in deep procrastination, like my motivation to do it on a scale of one to 10 was like a two, and I could get it to like an eight, in which case, oh, now I can just flow through and do it. And it's not really that big a deal. Uh, but it, it has to do with um, just reframing how I'm approaching it. If I, if I frame the task as like, this is something I don't want to do. I hate this. It's boring. Then of course I'm going to put it off. But if I can find a way to make it interesting, playful, fun, sometimes just by changing the parameters, like ask and give myself an extra challenge. Can I do this twice as fast? Can I play some uh, upbeat music? I, I often do a lot of accounting work, for instance, while listening to trance music because it gets me that <laughs> lifts my vibe up, you know, and then I'm feeling good about it. Uh, or I'll do an extra, like try to do it as a speed challenge, see how much I can do. Or I'll just break it down into little micro steps and chip away at it. Or I'll turn it into a 30-day challenge. Um, and and just you know like chip away you know like 10 minutes a day for a month or something and then and then it becomes uh, a personal growth experience so that's a big part of the personal growth thing is like changing your relationships with the stuff that you resist but you still want to get the results of it you want to have it done yeah i love that framing i also like that you gave a couple of examples because i can already see listeners in their head going that sounds great steve but i have lots of stuff that i have to do for my job uh, that I don't want to do, right? So um, do you think that if, if someone has a job, they're not fully fulfilled with their job, that they can make that substantially better simply by adopting this sort of attitude that you're saying, let's see how fast I can do a certain thing or um, let's put on some music or whatever? Or do you think, hmm, sometimes you just need to say, listen, this is not for me, right? Like, where is that? Where? How do you decide which one of, which one of those ways you should go? It's very much like trying to salvage a human relationship that's not working, say a marriage. Um, you know, having been divorced once and now re uh, happily remarried, uh, I can you know relate to that experience. So that's that's often how I, I frame these kinds of experiences because a, a job is a complex you know set of relationships. Your relationship with your boss, coworkers, customers, or clients you may serve. You know, anybody else you interact with, uh, depending on what the job is. It's not the job per se that's the problem. The problem is your relationship with the job is not working. And, and generally what people find, you know, one of the greatest sources of happiness in jobs is the relationships that people have with their boss, their coworkers, anybody else they work with. Um, yeah. The people I know who are happy and thriving in their jobs, they love the people they get to work with. They love the team. They love the relationships. They love the clients and the customers they serve. Uh, they're just really happy about that. I, I haven't had a job working for somebody else since I was in college, but um, <laughs> you know, I still, I still do work and I still, and what makes it happy work is the relationship I have with the work, even if it's just pure mental work, like at my computer alone, or if I'm working with other people, it's the relationships with those people. If those relationships are strong, if I'm enjoying the, the solo work I get to do, if I'm enjoying the social work I get to do or the social experiences, the people, then I can say, I like my job. And if I don't, then that's, you know, then, then I have a couple options there. I have to ask myself, is this set of relationships with my work and the people that I work with salvageable? Can I transform that? Um, can I get it from, you know, wherever it is languishing in a two or three out of one to 10 to like an eight, nine or 10, I'd say eight is a good minimum standard for a really thriving um, relationship. 
And, and if not, if I have to admit to myself, you know what, this just all around sucks so much, then it's time for a, a change in job, a change in field, a change in career path. And it's time to find, you know, where is the relationship path? I like to ask the question, where is the path with a heart? Was a question I learned from Carlos Castaneda. Or does this path have a heart? Yeah, so that really sounds like the stay or go decisions that people sometimes have in human relationships, like you were alluding to before, um, which is interesting. So, so people should literally ask themselves, is this worth staying this relationship or is this worth going? So that then leads me to think, um, would you say there's no role for mm, discipline, grit, willpower? Is that just not a fun or useful way of looking at the world for you? Or do you think there is a role for those for, you know, pushing yourself to do things for building discipline? Absolutely, there's a role, but there's good discipline and there's bad discipline. And again, that depends on your relationship with discipline. Um, for, you know, for example, um, I got up at 5am this morning, which I like to do, I exercised and, you know, it's kind of like a normal thing um, I like to do to start my day. I could say that that takes discipline, but I enjoy that. I like getting up at 5 a.m. I love the early morning hours. I like exercising early in the day. I like how it makes me feel. I like the energizing feeling it gives me. And so it's not suffering because I'm not resisting the discipline. It's not discipline that's the problem. It's how we're relating to the resistance. If you meet people who are very, very disciplined, what you'll find is they call it discipline, but it's really it's really that they're motivated to do those things because of how they frame discipline, because they have like a loving relationship with, with, with discipline. Um, uh, David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me, was, was like an amazing one I read a while ago. Uh, you know, he's, a, he's been a Navy SEAL and he just had all this hardship he had to deal with. And he, you know, just the, the kind of amazingly disciplined things he did, you just think this is crazy. This is way over the top what he did, you know, doing a hundred mile race and so on. Uh, doing all these physical challenges when he was injured. <laughs> and, and, um, and what's inspiring about that though, is it makes you fall in love with discipline. <laughs> you like read that book and you're like, damn, this guy's like, it, he, the way he frames discipline, he loves it. Like he revels in it. And so it, it, discipline is good, but you know, what we need to work on there is our relationship to it, not frame it as something uh, terrible that we're gonna resist, that's gonna lead to suffering, but actually see it as an enabler, um, like a source of training, making ourselves stronger, a source of joy, access to bigger and more interesting goals. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, that's a key part of the framing is, is, is there resistance in that relationship or can you frame it in a way that you let go of that resistance? And how might someone get started with with that framing? Because it's it's when you explain it this way, it sounds reasonable. It sounds like that sounds like a great idea, you know. But if you're the kind of person who thinks, you know, what I don't like this stuff that I'm doing, uh, I'm used to forcing myself. How do you go from there to, hey, let's see if I can make this a good kind of discipline? Where do what what question do you ask yourself? Where do you begin? I start by saying, what's the truth? You know, like, how do I feel about this? What's the truth about this relationship? So I'll do a lot of journaling. And especially when I'm, when I'm writing about this emotional stuff, I'll write it out by hand, even though I have a you know, computer-based journal, I'll write these kinds of things out by hand because uh, there's something about the physical act of writing with pen and paper that helps me get to deeper emotional truth. Um, it feels a little more disconnected when I'm just typing something on a screen. And when I'm, when I'm handwriting it out and I'm seeing the emotion in my own words, it's like I could feel the tactile nature of the pen and, and, you know, you feel free to just write out swear words, like acknowledge what you're feeling, acknowledge the truth about your relationship with this. You can do this with, you know, relationships with humans, uh, other people, you know, you, you engage with coworkers, um, you know, intimate relationships, it works really well. And, and I write three pages, exactly three pages, and then I stop. Um, so just like one side of each page until, and that takes about 45 minutes if I really want to write something out you know, emotionally. And I just, I just kind of free write, you know, how do I feel about this? And then uh, it really gets me to the truth of what my feelings have been on it. And what that does is it, it takes those deeper feelings that are often unacknowledged and it moves them from the emotional part of the brain into the logical part of the brain. So I can kind of take a fresh look at them without feeling so much of the emotion. It kind of moves the feeling through through my body, uh, through the act of writing it out, allows my mind to process it in a different way. And then, it, then I can look at it a bit more objectively. Like, okay, 
I'm procrastinating on this thing because I think it's going to be tedious and boring. And then I just, it, when I read the words back, after I write this out, I read it back and, and I, I realize, ah, of course this is not going to work. Of course this relationship is broken. Now, when I see that, when I see there is no hope in salvaging that kind of relationship and expecting me to be productive, there is no way I'm going to be productive if that's the truth about my relationship. And so that gives me some motivation and tells me, you know, Steve, if you want to get some results here, obviously you have to change this relationship because it's broken. It's not going to work this way. So you just like when you see it written out on paper, uh, it really lands in a different way. When we keep the emotions buried and we don't kind of pull them out, run them through our logical circuits and acknowledge them mentally, they just stay stuck. And so then it's this like feeling of something's off, something's right, not right. And that just immediately diverts our thinking. We don't actually do the thinking about it. So this is a way of like pull those, those feelings out, think about them, look at them rationally and ask yourself, is this rational to expect productivity when you're going to frame this task as tedious? No, you're going to go play video games instead. You know, <laughs> your thought, if, Familiar. If, you leave, if you leave the emotional energy stuck there, it's just going to want to, you know, divert and flow some other way where there's less resistance, which will be into like, oh, let's just binge watch some Netflix today instead. <laughs> and then all your goals kind of just fall by the wayside. Yeah. So this sounds very stoic to me. Um, you know, the stoic philosopher has the, I don't know if I'm misquoting this because I haven't done a deep study, but um, emotions are almost like logical mistakes, right? It's like, uh, which I don't fully agree with, you know, emotions are just what they are. Um, but it's good to have an objective look at them. I like that you're saying this because a, a lot of sort of my audience tends to be pretty rational, pretty logical. Um, and I've been trying lately to tell people to get more in touch with their emotions because kind of what you were saying earlier, I've hit those 10% of things that I can help people with that are sort of like the surface level problems on a logical level, but people still struggle with things and it's emotions. So um, how easy is it once you understand that you have a certain emotion going on that's preventing you from doing some kind of work or task or whatever, how easy is it for you to accept that? Because you said, you know, you like to see the truth of the matter. Um, but I think often people have trouble accepting their truth. You know, they don't want to say, you know what, I actually hate my job. People that it's inconvenient to acknowledge this because then you may have to like quit your job, find a new job, maybe not have a job for a while. Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, that, that's what keeps people stuck in uh, misaligned relationships, misaligned jobs for a very long time is that we don't want to admit the truth to ourselves. So uh, one method I, I share a lot is separating truth from power. And that is that uh, one of the reasons we don't acknowledge the truth is that we feel powerless to act on it. We feel like it's too much if we face the truth. What happens is if you have to face the truth that your job is not working for you, uh, it, it's kind of like facing the truth that you know your car is breaking down and you need a new car. And you can just be in denial about that for a long time and just let the <laughs> let the things just, you know, start having a lot of problems and you're like, the engine doesn't sound right today. And you, know, you, you start noticing you're getting more repair bills and it's like, maybe I should get rid of this junker. Uh, but you, you stay in denial about it until there's like either a big breakdown happens and you're like, oh, okay, now it's a, like a, you know, a thousand dollar repair bill. Maybe I should get rid of this thing. Uh, so oftentimes it's an external event that becomes the catalyst, but to create a more, um, uh, a faster way of, of, of approaching this, you want to be able to look at the truth and also admit to yourself, I don't, I don't have to do anything about this right now. I just have to see the truth first. I just have to admit that my car is breaking down and it sucks. And I need to tell myself, I eventually have to replace this, but I don't have to immediately jump to, uh, I better replace this now. It's like first focus on just acknowledging the truth. It's the same thing with, in say, a long-term relationship with, it, with another, person, another person, a marriage and an intimate relationship that's not working. First thing is tell yourself, this marriage, this relationship is not working and either it has to be fixed or it has to end uh, or we have to move on. And that is a powerful acknowledgement, especially when you're not ready to put a breakup on your plate, to put a divorce on your plate. And then what you do is you say, you admit to yourself, I don't feel strong enough. I don't feel motivated to deal with this right now. But, so I'm just going to focus on acknowledging the truth and surrendering to that. And I'm not going to worry about doing anything just yet. And that, what that does is it allows time for the truth to sink in. And it does take time for it to sink in. 
And then eventually, um, you know, especially if you can move through that process somewhat quickly, it may just take a few days before it's finally dawning on you. Yeah, there is no hope here. It's time for a different way of doing this relationship. It just becomes more and more obvious. It gives your mind a little more time to process it in the background. You invite your mind, you know, show me some alternatives. Like I like to challenge my own brain, solve, pro you know, if you think there's a solution to this, show me a solution, solve this problem for me. And if you can't come up with a solution, maybe I should just leave that situation and go somewhere else where there are solutions. Yeah. I love this analogy you're drawing between what you call the relationship with your work and human relationships. I think one thing that people get stuck on is even if they manage to accept the reality of a bad situation. So I hate this work that I'm doing. My marriage isn't working out. Um, I think people may be scared because, uh, to go away, get out of this relationship. So find different work, find a different partner um, because they experience scarcity. And this is something that I know you've thought a lot about. You know, people may think, uh, I don't know if I can get a new job that pays as well as this, or like, I don't know if I can find a new partner that I'll be happier with or something like that, right? Um, and so I think people may really feel some fear there. Um, now, I know that you have been working for yourself for a long time and you seem to you know, enjoy what you do very much. And um, I think for other people that this confidence maybe is not there yet. You know, I think so people may almost look at their own situation in a biased way, right? They, they, they have a reason not to acknowledge how bad things are because they're afraid of switching, you know, because they're afraid of acknowledging maybe my career that I chose the wrong career. Maybe this is not right for me, but that, that's unfortunate because you just spent 10 years, right? Building this. So um, how do you then go about taking that next step where you're saying this, you know, uh, this is not working, but I'm worried that I cannot find something better. I, I think about the relationship I have with my future self. Um, and that is a, that's a really powerful relationship in how I model reality. Um, I'm often thinking about how can I make my future self's life better? How can I make Steve's life better five years from now, 10 years from now? And I've been thinking that way for many, many years. And so as a yeah. result, I look back on the decisions I made in the past and the struggles I endured in the past. And, and I, I thank my past self <laughs> for my, my, myself when I was in my 20s, when I was in my 30s, and looking back on him and the, the tough decisions he had to make uh, to make my life better. And now I get to live a much better life than he did. And I notice like each decade in my life feels like it's getting better and better because my past self has been investing, you know, or what he was investing in making my life better. He was making those kinds of choices. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the idea of framing this as a stoic philosophy. And while I'm familiar with that, that's not how I see it at all. Um, there is the logic of working through this, um, but I very much see it as like, it's more heart-based than head-based, but they're both important because if the heart's not aligned, the head is gonna get all screwed up. You know, we'll just be stuck in our head and we won't actually be productive. When your heart is aligned with your work, when you really enjoy your work, you love it, you care about it, then the head is just like lit up with creativity and ideas and productivity and flow. And it's, it's easy because those thoughts happen automatically. You don't have to force yourself to be productive. Um, that kind of mental state just goes along with the good emotional state. So I, I prioritize the emotional state. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it, one of the reasons to do that is because priorities are inherently emotional. The logical mind does not care if we're, you know, it does not care at all. That's the problem. It doesn't care about anything. So it doesn't care if you brush your teeth, you know, 10 times a day, uh, thinking that's productivity. Uh, it doesn't care about big goals versus little goals. It doesn't care about the difference between productive flow and busy work. Um, it, it doesn't care about mindfulness versus mindlessness. It, it doesn't care if you're aligned with your heart or not. It just does its thinking. Uh, but the, the way we set priorities is that they're emotional in nature. We have to feel our way into them. We have to care about them. Um, you know, a computer is very logical, but without caring, it just sits there and waits for commands. Um, and that's essentially what people do when they've, you know, gotten out of connection with their heart, when they're just not um, emotionally in tune with what they want. And when you're emotionally in tune with your future self and you really care about that person you're becoming, you, and the truth lands with you, that someday I'm going to be that person next week, a month from now, a year from now, whenever you have a misaligned relationship and you don't acknowledge it and you put it off, you're sentencing, you're punishing your future self to have to deal with it. 
And whenever you can solve it today, or at least chip away at it, or work, it, work on it, you're giving a gift, a powerful gift to your future self. You're giving a gift of relief. You're giving a gift of transformation. You're giving your future self the ability to move on to something more interesting in life and stop dealing with this problem. I am so grateful when I look back on my past self and I see that he struggled a lot to figure out things like figuring out how to have a marriage that's really happy. <laughs> uh, that's you know, a great source of joy in life. Figuring out how to, work, how to do work that feels aligned and, you know, and contributing and kind of lights me up. Um, just figuring out how to be in the flow and enjoy my life. Figuring out how to have interesting friendships with people. All those were struggles in the past. They were, they, they were investments. There were a lot of things to figure out, but what was motivating that was this desire to create a better life for my future self. I love that you brought up the computer, the, the very logic of a computer, because I'll get emails or just questions sometimes from some of my students, and they don't say it this way, but basically what they want is they want an AI who decides for them what they should work on at any given moment. And this is very fun. And there's even some productivity YouTubers who keep making predictions that like, oh, Apple has built some machine learning capacities. In the next few years, we're going to see these machine learning capabilities um, in our productivity apps, in our to-do apps, and th they're going to decide our schedule for us. I'm thinking it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because you cannot represent your emotions to the computer, right? So you can, you, obviously, you can make a list of all of your tasks and you know, you can give some directions on how to prioritize them, but I don't think that'll actually be useful. So I like that you emphasize the importance of going, you, you know, you think you phrase it as the heart, basically, feeling it with the heart. There may be, however, um, some listeners. I have a lot of listeners that are, you know, they have corporate jobs, a good number of executives as well, the kind of people who their calendar is very busy all day, every day, you know, at, at least during weekdays. Um, they may be thinking, here's two guys who can spend their time however they like, you know, and so talking very easy talk about just do things that you enjoy and then you'll feel more creative or whatever. Um, is it much easier for someone like you who has, you've had your own business for a long time and right now you're doing a lot of things just because they feel good rather than because they make the most money, right? Um, is that kind of thing possible for someone who's like the CEO of some company and who has a lot of obligations or does he just need to quit his job to actually align more with what he's doing? Yeah, I know, I know lots of people who are, you know, entrepreneurial in nature and I know people who are employees. I know, I know CEOs and other executives of different companies and it's not the nature, it's not the, you know, the busyness or whatever that makes them unhappy or happy. It's how they relate to it. I know people that, uh, travel 150 to 200 days a year, or at least they did before COVID times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doing speaking circuits and so on. And I could, you know, when I, when I talked to these people, I could see like some of them loved it. You know, like uh, like one other author I know, I was just talking to him on a call yesterday, Mike Dooley, um, who's written many, many, many books, uh, loves traveling. And he just like, you know, he like he likes traveling. He likes traveling and speaking. And I could tell when I talked to him, he's happy. He's very aligned with it. And then there's other people I, I, I've known where they travel the same amount, but they hate it. They don't like it. They're tired of being away from home all the time. And in fact, now during COVID times, they're like, I haven't traveled in a year. And it's like <laughs> what one friend was just saying <laughs> yesterday on the call, the least I've traveled in my entire life <laughs> this past year. And, he, and he's loving it. And he was happy. He's like, I've only left. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I've left my house like 13 times in the past year. <laughs> He's like, I love it. It's just like so nice to be home with my wife and I'm just enjoying that. Um, and so it's, it, you know, it's, it's like any human relationship. Um, it, you know, you can always say, oh, you're in a happy marriage. Easy for you. Uh, and yeah, it is easy when you're in a happy marriage, but it can be difficult <laughs> to get into one. <laughs> uh, but but the, the thing is, is when you're in, you know, it can, it, it's easy to work at a job that you enjoy. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, I mean, it's a kind of a personal preference, whether you want to be an entrepreneur, work for somebody else. Um, I, you know, I only had one job in my life working at a, a, a video game store and I got fired from it. <laughs> so after that, I was like, screw this whole having a boss thing. I'm going to go and work for myself. Um, and I've just been doing that ever since. And I enjoyed it. It's challenging, but I like the challenge of it. I have a good relationship with that kind of challenge entrepreneurship used to be kind of stressful in the first five years when I was trying to figure it out. But then I kind of found my, 
my footing more than 20 years ago. And I, I really have just been enjoying it ever since. Um, so I don't, I just don't feel like I need to have a boss, you know, or, or, or corporate environment. Some people I know though, they thrive in that kind of environment. They like it. They like the corporate machinery. They want to have that structure and stability. Um, they don't, they want to have a regular paycheck. I, I don't even know, you know, what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the excitement of not knowing how much, how much money I'll make. Money's not a big motivator for me though. It's more about the, just the fun of the, the work and the flow. Yeah. I, I appreciate you saying that the first five years of business were pretty stressful for you because I think I'm in that phase right now. So it's nice to know that there's some hope, some perspective of things getting, getting less stressful. Um, you also mentioned um, that you like the challenge and that uh, reminded me that you do a lot of challenges. You're, I know you're a big fan of doing 30-day challenges. I know you recently did a 365-day challenge where you wrote a blog post every single day. and um, why don't we start with the 365 days of blogging for you? I think to a lot of people, that sounds like, man, did he really manage to publish a blog post like every day for a whole year? Um, was it hard? No, it wasn't hard um, because it was how I framed it. It was, it was not meant as a discipline challenge. Um, I've been blogging for more than 16 years now. So, you know, I already had a lot of writing experience and I enjoy writing. So what I was choosing, the reason I chose to do that challenge is I wanted to more deeply explore my relationship with creative writing each day. Um, I didn't create an editorial list or a big list of articles to write in advance. For the most part, each day, I just kind of started in the morning and I thought, you know, what shall I write today? Or I would ask the universe and say, what do, what do you want me to write about today? Like what topics are coming through? And I just sort of, you know, get an idea and then I just write it and publish it, uh, usually before lunchtime. And that... Um, I, I liked that challenge. It was difficult sometimes because uh, I wasn't always feeling in the mood to do it, but I always knew I could get in the mood. And so it was an exploration of that relationship. It was like a big, it was a bigger commitment um, to writing a lot. I must have written like 400,000 words or so of, of blog posts <laughs> that year, but it was, Ooh. I also framed it, I framed it as a gift to my future self. When I was pondering that idea, I thought, do I want to gift this to my future self? It'll make one more challenging year of my life, but then my future self will always have that memory of knowing that he spent a whole year blogging. I ended up doing, I think I started on December 24, 2019. And since that was a leap year too, and, this, and since I also did January 1st of, of 2021, it ended up being, I think, 375 days in a row of, of, of blogging. Um, and just you know, so I even went a little bit more than the year and just, you know, checked it off. And it was a leap year too. So there's 360 <laughs> in the year. Um, and, and then uh, now I have, and so now I'm that future self. And now I have the memory of having done that. And I'm like, wow, I just, you know, and that's an experience nobody can ever take away from me. Like that's a gift that my past self from just a little over a year ago gave me. He decided to make that commitment because he thought it would enhance my life. And so now I look back on him and I'm like, thank you, 2000, you know, late 2019, Steve, for deciding that because now my life has that gift of, of a, I can always say like, I blogged every day for a year and like what, and I know, and I remember what that was like. And so now what does that do for me? It makes every other kind of creative task seem easy. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, if you can do that, then what else can you do? It's like, I can, I never need to make an excuse like, oh, I can't block. I'm like, wait a minute. You remember you did it every day for a year. <laughs> So there's, you know, it gave me a lot of different ways to interact with, with blogging, what I could write about, how I would write about certain topics. And it was certainly a timely year to do that challenge. <laughs> you know, 2020 was a, there was plenty to write about. I'll tell you that. And also a good, you know, you're spending a lot of time at home, plenty of time to write. So I, I definitely see that. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did that a few years ago, blogging every day for a year. And it really resonates with me what you're saying that, um, especially the bit about now, whenever you don't feel like writing, you're like, Hey, that's no problem. Like I've conquered that particular problem. I know I can do it. So I get a lot of people, um, telling me they want to build habits and recently more so because it's, you know, the start of a new year. And that's when a lot of people start thinking about these things, what are going to be my new habits for 2021. And, you know, I'll, I'll get people that are very excited and they're like, oh, I'm going to meditate every day this year. And then they get a little demotivated after a few days. So um, how, 
what will you say to someone who thinks, oh, that sounds amazing. I don't think I can do this, you know? Um, maybe around day five, we're faltering. They're deciding, should I quit this challenge? Should I keep going? What what can someone who's in that position tell themselves to make it a little bit more likely that they keep going and finish the challenge? Well, these these 30 day challenges, you know, or 365 day challenges or any kind of challenges, there's something that you you can use as a tool. You have a relationship with this tool then. Like any productivity tool, any app, I like to frame that as I have a relationship with it. Do I like this tool? Do I not like this tool? So uh, 30-day challenges are something I got into um, earlier in, in college. And I, I did it just, uh, the framing I approached it with, which I think can be helpful for people, is I saw it as a temporary deep dive into a different mode of living. Uh, so the very first one I did was back in 1993. And that was to go vegetarian for 30 days. I, ah. and I had no intention of staying vegetarian. I, you know, I like my in and out burgers and stuff. And so I, I wanted to just try it because I had a friend in college, um, a guy from India, and he was a vegetarian. And I noticed we would go out for pizza or something and I would always get pepperoni pizza and he would always get like cheese or veggies, you know, on his pizza. And I, and I thought, okay, you know, um, it's interesting, but he seemed very healthy, seemed very intelligent. Uh, and he never you know, push me or challenge me to do it. But I always thought that's really interesting. It's like, he's been vegetarian for so, so long, so many years. And I thought I'm going to go through my whole life and never experience that. I'm never going to know what it's like to be a vegetarian. And I thought, wait a minute, why don't I just find out what it's like for like a month? Wouldn't that be cool? And so it was, it was kind of before I thought about the framing as a gift to my future self, but it was pretty close to that. Cause I'm thinking like, I don't want to go my whole life and never have experienced this. So it's like a FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. <laughs> like I'm, I'm never going to know what it's like to be vegetarian, even for a little while. I'm never going to have that experience. So I thought I want to have the experience. I want to gift myself that experience. So I decided to do that just during a, a summer uh, between semesters in college. I decided to go vegetarian for 30 days. So I just finished eating up all the, uh, the meat in the house. And then just, you know, I went lacto over vegetarian. So I was still having eggs and, and cheese and, and milk and so on. Um, and I did that. And then I, I noticed like, you know, afterwards, like I, on day 31, even though I had permission to go back, I kind of like, well, I don't have any meat in my little apartment. So I'm just going to keep eating this way for a little longer. And, and pretty soon I noticed, uh, you know, when I went to the grocery store to go buy food again, I was just in the habit of doing the regular vegetarian shop. So I just ended up not buying any meat. It just didn't seem to end up in my grocery cart. So then I kept going and pretty soon I noticed like six months had passed <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm still vegetarian. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, now it's been, um, you know, over 27 years. <laughs> uh, and then I did the same thing um, uh, three and a half years after that first experiment, I did 30 days of vegan and that's continued. And now I'm like uh, just past 24 years uh, vegan. So uh, one thing that taught me is like that framing of seeing it as a temporary deep dive, a temporary experience can actually have permanent effects. The habit may, it may become a habit that sticks, like it introduces you to a new mode of living so that became part of the motivation for it. Like, what if there's a better way of living my life? What if there's something I, I would really enjoy and I'd like to live my life that way? Uh, and I, I have to explore it. I have to find out. So it's driven largely by curiosity. So then the relationship with the tool became one of like, this is a powerful tool for self-discovery. And so if I only go like three or four or five days, I'm denying myself the knowledge of what something is really like. And there can be habits also. There are times when I did a deep dive into something I thought I might really like. And after 30 days, I just thought, nope, never need to do that again. Many years ago, I did <laughs> days of learning chess. And I, I don't know when that was, 2006, 2008, something like that. And I haven't played a single game of chess since. <laughs> um, it, but I'm glad I did it because I was always tempted, you know, when I want to get into chess. With that, and I wanted to get into it for one month of my life. And I'm happy to check that off that I did it for a month and played a lot of games during that time and learned a little bit about it. And then I don't need to revisit it. I just have totally lost interest afterwards. So it's, it's a long term training tool that you practice with. Um, and mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the framing. So if you make it only three days and fail, you, you get back on the horse and you try it again. You know, you, 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 um, you approach it differently. You learn something from every failure. This year I'm doing a 365 day challenge of eating, 100% uh, raw foods. 
And the, la the, the first time I tried doing eating raw foods just for 30 days, I tried that in 1997. I only made it three days and I gave up and quit. Uh, I, wasn't eating, I was only eating like 500 calories a day. I was trying to do it based on all vegetables and I was just not getting enough calories. And it was not working. I, didn't, I was ignorant. I didn't know. So it's okay if you fail, but then it's a learning experience. And so like to transfer, you know, I've already done like six months raw before um, many years ago. So doing a year is not that big of a challenge per se. I actually find it pretty easy um, because of practicing and using this tool to build my way up. Yeah. And I think raw food for you should be easy because I know you did a water fasting experience at some point too for like, was it 40 days or something? So if you can only drink water for 40 days, then eating raw food should be easy. Yep. That was a, that was a few years ago, um, doing, uh, 40 days of just water fasting. Um, I was originally going to set out to do 30 and I was doing daily YouTube videos. So, uh, on my YouTube channel, those videos are still online. Um, in fact, there, you know, it shows me like shrinking over time as I'm yeah, like, you get skinnier every day, <laughs> I lost like 33 pounds doing it, I think. And, uh, um, and then just, and then I did, um, so I did videos every day from day one to 30. And then I, decided, you know, I can keep going and I'll do it. I did an extra 10 days and then capped it at, at uh, day 40. Um, and then the day 40 video was actually the most popular YouTube video I did, which was just kind of a recap of what it was like to go 40 days without, without food. It has over a hundred thousand views. Um, so I, I found that interesting that people cared that much about it. <laughs> yeah. I love that you framed a 30 day challenge or however many day challenge, um, almost like with FOMO, like you were saying, right? You just want to find out like, what is it like to do this? So um, that's something I've been thinking when it comes to getting up really early, because you mentioned that you get up at five or something. And, you know, there's this book called the 5am club, which sounds extremely obnoxious to me, because it sounds to me like you must get up at five. You know, sometimes people present getting up early, like you have to do this. If you will not do this, you're not as productive as you can be. And I really don't like that framing. Um, but I, I recognize myself in what you're saying. I am kind of curious, like what would happen to me? You know, right now I just dismiss it. I'm like, I don't want to get up before eight in the morning. Um, but I actually have no data to go on, right? I have no data to go on. I don't know if that would make my life uh, better. It very well might. So it's almost not fair to judge before you try it. Um, so I think that's really something for people uh, to keep in mind when they're deciding ah, you know, should I go ahead with this new habit or not? Is do you want some good data or do you not want some good data? You know, if you're only four days in, you're probably not making a proper evaluation, whatever it is, meditating for 30 days, uh, not drinking coffee for 30 days, you know, could be all kinds of things. Um, a lot of these things take some time to go through. It's interesting you frame it as like collecting data. That's, that's like such a mental way of framing it. I think of it as like, does this make me happier? Like, does this create a better mm. life? Do I enjoy my life more? I struggled for years trying to get up at 5 a.m. That was one of my most difficult habits to, to finally install. Um, I think I finally locked that in sometime in my 30s. And the, I think the reason I struggled for so much is I, I, I learned, I read these books and, you know, the pro on productivity and it showed how it, they talked about how you know, all these successful people are early risers. And so you should be an early riser too. And with that framing, I could never get it to stick because I, I didn't like getting up early. <laughs> You know, get up and be all tired and groggy. Um, and what finally made it stick, what finally, um, especially stick long-term was, um, you know, experimenting with a more playful attitude and trying to decide which does make my life better. Do I like sleeping in late? Do I like how I feel not just about the morning, but about the whole day about my, you know, my morning mm -hmm. routine. Um, there were, you know, in my twenties, actually like late teens, early, early twenties. Um, I used to, sleep past noon a lot of the time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to bed till like 7 a.m. sometimes. Um, and, and I had an interesting relationship with that kind of sleeping, you know, habit at the time. But then as I got older, it, that, that sort of thing, sleeping in late felt very misaligned. I felt like I was behind on my day if I didn't get out of bed till like 8 a.m. or something. Because I would notice I'd be more sluggish and I would just like kind of go through my morning really slowly. I might not even get into any work till like 10, 11 a.m., um, and now it feels like I get a full day's work done before, before noon often, which I love. I love feeling like ahead. So it's about the feeling that motivated me to do it. When I get up at five, get some exercise in, um, have a healthy breakfast, get started in my day, especially doing some creative work early in the day. Then it's like lunchtime feels better. I feel like, ah, I've earned my lunch. It's a, a feeling of accomplishment. And I feel like even if I have a lazier afternoon, the day was won already. So it, it's, 
you know, that kind of, um, that kind of relationship framing, I, I just find super empowering. That's how I, that's how I know whether to keep doing something or not. I say, is this working? You know, is this making me happier? Is this like creating a better life for my, for my future self? Is this a gift to my future self or is this a curse or a punishment for my future self? Yeah. I think that productivity is so much about happiness and people do not want to acknowledge this. A lot of people are asking, you know, I talk about productivity. I sell courses on productivity. So like I frame it as I will make you more productive. But a lot of the times that that's just like the hook to get your attention, right? A lot of the times what we're after is not necessarily cranking out more widgets or whatever. It's I want to feel better. Um, whether that is, you know, less stressed is, is a big one for many people. And obviously, you know, if you're suffering from too much stress, less stress makes you much happier. So I really uh, enjoy that framing. I still think it helps to also think of it in terms of data, but collecting data on your feelings. You know, like some people are not as in tune with their feelings. I only learned this a few years ago when I was sort of recovering from a pretty heavy burnout and I started seeing a psychologist. And, you know, at the time, I don't know, I was 27 or so. I forget exactly how old I was. That's when I really learned uh, to understand what I'm feeling. <laughs> so for the first 26 years of my life, I just wasn't really in tune with my feeling. And that, that's tricky. So, so it, you know, I think a lot of people are at that point where um, they don't really know what they feel. So that's why I like the framing um, of thinking about it to gather some data. Like, are you, do you feel more energetic? Do you like, are you feel more creative? Um, so this getting up in the early in the morning thing sounds promising. Um, maybe I'll, uh, I'll report back to the listeners at some time uh, when I, when I do this. So th th this talk about getting up early has got me thinking about something. And it is a lot of people talk about their daily routines as well. Um, and especially morning routines. Uh, are you a big fan of routines? Do your mornings usually look the same or is it kind of different, whatever you feel like? I like a little bit of both. Um, and again, this is where I focus on my relationship with the routine, which is always changing. It's always evolving. Um, I struggled for years trying to put in my life into you know a shell, like a structure, a, a, a scaffolding of like, here's what I do you know, every Monday, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on. And that never worked <laughs> um, because I would always get annoyed or frustrated or feel trapped by the routine. Uh, I love yeah. freedom of choice and I love being able to go with the flow of what's arising in the moment. And I notice, I notice just like historically, I'm way more productive when I just, I go with where my energy seems to want to flow. Um, and sometimes it'll flow in like, uh, you know, an interesting direction that I wouldn't have not necessarily thought this would be a top priority project. But if I go with where the energy want, seems to want to go, I can get things done two or three times faster because my motivation is just there and I'll work for several hours straight without needing a break. And I don't even, I don't have to push myself. I, the work doesn't feel tedious. I just naturally flow from one action to the next to the next. Uh, it's really, really, really easy. So I like to have a lot of space to honor that. Um, so while I do have some structure in my day, like I do like to get up at 5 a.m., um, I do like to exercise early in the day, then most of the rest of my day, my calendar, I like to leave as blank as possible, like keep it as empty as possible. Um, I have structures for things like, you know, coaching calls or at regular times. So I like having a little bit of that, uh, especially when there's... Um, needing to coordinate things with other people, like other people needing to be on a call together. Then of course you have to schedule something, but otherwise if you're just doing creative work and it's, it can float flexibly in terms of what time I do it. Uh, then I kind of just like, I start each day kind of just by tuning in and going, okay, well, I have a to-do list I got, you know, do I want to work on that now? Or do I want to break from it? How's my relationship with that to-do list? You know, do I, do I like it? Do I look at it and go, well, you know, that number one item seems pretty cool. Let's do that. Or do I look at that list and go, Ugh, just not really feeling that today. <laughs> you know, it seemed like a good idea yesterday, but like now I'm actually here having to do it. Uh, I don't know what those tasks. Um, so then I might work on, you know, well, I really do want those done. So I'm going to reframe that. I'll work on my relationship with it. Let's get some music going. Um, you know, either I'll try to amp up the energy if I feel like I'm bored, you know, then I try to bring my energy up. If I feel a little overwhelmed or stressed, then I try to bring the energy down and relax it more. So then I'll play some like, um, native flutes or, you know, some kind of relaxing uh, new age music, um, just very flowing ambient, ambient sounds. I love playing uh, fireplace sounds. Um, <laughs> so I, I've got a couple home pods in my office behind me. So I, I like just, you know, I can tell Siri to play different sound effects and things like that. So I like the crackling fireplace sounds while I work. It's kind of nice when writing an article. <laughs> um, 
So, so just like changing the, you know, changing the mood, changing the, the vibes uh, of, of what's going on can really help a lot too. I'm visualizing you saying, Siri, play a 24-hour fireplace crackling from YouTube. You know, you'll have those really long <laughs> episodes on YouTube, really long videos that are background sounds like that. Um, I find it fascinating when you say that you will make a to-do list. You know, past Steve says, I think future Steve is really going to enjoy working on these things. And then in the moment you say, nah, like I'm not feeling this today. You know, this is not. And I, I'm working towards that myself, slowly making progress. A lot of people ask me um, how they can get into that situation. Because especially people who have a boss, right? you often don't have that flexibility. I mean, your boss says, I need this by Friday, then you're going to have to like start working on it now um, if you're going to have it done by Friday. So is this just a lost cause for people who have a job? Um, if people are frustrated with uh, not being able to go with the flow, should those people go work for themselves or is there something they can do? Uh, it depends on how aware and intelligent your employer is. Um, do you work for a corporate machine that's filled with idiots that don't understand productivity, that don't want you to be productive? Like, um, you know, one question to ask yourself is, is it more important to your boss that you be obedient or that you be productive? Um, you know, if somebody's working with me as part of my team, I want them to be happy. I want them to be productive. You know, like, this as is you know, I mean, as, as you know, my wife, Rochelle and I, you know, we work together each day um, in, in the business. And do I want her to suffer? No, she'll have, you know, many lazy days in the business and stuff, but she gets stuff done. Uh, like the newsletters that she does, they always go out on time. And, you know, she, she does things, but uh, I give her, you know, lots of freedom to do that. And it's like, it's not like um, she's an employee or anything. We work as together on a on team, you know, and we we focus on the purpose and the meaning and and why we're doing certain things. Um, there are a lot of people who are like that in the world of work. You know, there are a lot of um, businesses who choose those kinds of models. They care about productivity. They want to have a team that enjoys themselves. Some some companies prioritize fun. You know, in in my business, the uh, profit is not the most important thing. It's more about purpose and meaning and enjoyment and flow and fulfillment and fun and creativity. Uh, it, you want to have a, you know, a decent income for uh, sustainability so you can sustain the happiness and the flow. And so you want to have a good relationship with your income too, but you don't want it to be like uh, your slave driver. And if you, if you go to work for a company that just is totally misaligned with that kind of productivity, where you have no ability to, you know, to, to be autonomous in your choices and making intelligent choices about what's, what's right and, you know, what needs to be done. Uh, if you're not, mis if you're not aligned with the way your boss relates to you and you cannot transform that relationship, you feel powerless to do so, then why the hell did you choose that? Why do you want to invest your life in that? I mean, that is a tremendous curse you're giving your future self. You're basically telling your future self, you know, I, I want you to have a terrible life. I want you to suffer. I mean, what are you, some kind of masochist? Why would you stay in that kind of situation? Like how much, you know, how much fear do you have to have not to think like, you know, maybe I should leave sometime in the next, you know, year, five years, 10 years, because surely with the remaining decades of my life, I can figure out something better than this garbage <laughs> that I'm dealing with. I mean, it's a choice. It's a, it's a choice to, to, to step up and, and, um, and grow into a, a, a relationship with work that's meaningful and fulfilling for you. I mean, would you really want to spend decades of your life working in a misaligned job where every day is like suffering and resistance to go to work? That's going to take a toll on your health. I mean, that's, that's like your whole life. Then what? You retire and die. And now the worst thing here is that you're cursing your future self with having to have all those memories um, instead of memories of working on fulfilling projects and meaningful creative accomplishments and achievements that really sit well with you. Um, like I, I feel really proud of having written a book and had it you know, published and, and it's been you know, translated in more than a dozen languages around the world. That is meaningful for me. That's something that I always get to have. I'm always a published author. I, I, that never gets to be taken away from me. You know, writing 
1,700 plus articles for my website. It's a lot of writing, <laughs> millions of words, but it's, it feels meaningful. It feels like all that is, is still online. That can outlive me. That, that's like a legacy. It's a gift. It's a gift not just to my future self, but it's also a gift to humanity. That's the memory I get. When I look back on you know, the past like 16 years I've been working in this field, I just have lots and lots of beautiful memories um, you know, connecting with people, meeting with people one-on-one, -on -one, uh, talking about their personal growth journeys and what they gained from doing this kind of work, uh, that is powerful. And I love, I, I love that. And I just want to keep racking up more of those kinds of memories. But what's the alternative? You know, I look back on my life and I see like, I worked for a boss I didn't like. I went to work stressed. You know, I was, I was, I didn't have the authority or the autonomy to do the work the way I really wanted I focused on being obedient. I, I, I focused on my fear of getting fired for rocking the boat. I didn't create any real transformation in the world. I didn't create any legacy other than I just was part of the, I was a cog in a machine that's not a gift to, to other human beings going forward either. I'm not helping to transform the world of work. I'm just being a cog. I'm being too passive. I die and I'm filled with regrets. That's not for me. I mean, yeah. that, like that emotional thing. You notice that? That's not just logical. You have to feel the truth of that. When that sinks in, you go, screw this. I quit. <laughs> and then go do something more, more aligned with your life. Life is way too precious to just waste on showing up to a misaligned job. You know, teach, teach, teach the employers of the world that creating those kinds of jobs is stupid. It sucks. Stop doing it. Create, create jobs that are meaningful and purposeful where people have a chance to really thrive and to be truly productive and creative, not to just, you know, be obedient and just do this, this really boring work. We should be, you know, using our creativity to just outsource all that really boring stuff to AI <laughs> uh, as much as we can. <laughs> and we're doing that. And really, like, if you're in that kind of job, that's coming any, that's coming for you anyway, because humans aren't going to want to do that job forever. There's, there's too many more creative opportunities and AI is going to just push us up into the more creative realm. I love your focus on the ability that people have to change um, and also to dream big. I think a lot of people will get stuck on feeling helpless or they think it's normal, you know, to be in a work situation where they're doing work that they don't like. Um, whereas the image that you're sketching is very much a positive uh, one, one where people can take action, right? Um, I'm reminded of some companies, for example, I know the people, um, what are they called? The company that makes a software base camp, like with David Heinemeyer Hanson and stuff. And it sounds very similar to some things that he uh, and his, his, what is it? Jason Fried, I think is his, the other guy who runs the company that they talk about where they're like, it's not all about money. Um, we're, we don't expect you to answer emails within 10 seconds, you know, like we want to give you space. Um, so there are companies out there. So even, you know, if you don't want to have your own business, there's still options for, for people. And I, I find that a very hopeful message. Um, okay, there's kind of two more things I wanted to ask you, Steve. One is, I'm very curious, um, you sometimes work on big projects. So recently, you created a course called Stature, for example, which is a sizable course, a lot of materials in there. Um, when you are working on a big project, do your days look materially different than when you're not working on a big project? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like having different like creative flows throughout the year. I don't like it to be the same week after week. So sometimes I'm working on a big project and sometimes I'm working on smaller projects. Sometimes I'm taking more personal time. Uh, like in, in December, I took a very easy month. I took a very relaxed month. It was mainly like Rochelle and me staying at home, enjoying the holidays. Um, catching up on some reading, you know, t taking more time off, um, just kind of enjoying our relationship and, um, and not trying to tackle a big creative project. But then um, I do have like, like February and March this year coming up soon, I'll be doing another deep dive, um, you know, course. And so the, the creative flow there is very, di is very different. Uh, but I still focus so much on the relationship I have. Um, with the, with the work, with, with creating a, you know, doing a bigger course, a bigger project. I struggled for a number of years trying to get into the mode of doing courses. And I never quite understood in the beginning, like, how come I can just crank out all these blog posts and write that so easily. But when I try to do a bigger creative work, 
it's like a slog. And I, you know, it's like, it feels so tedious and I have to do all this advanced planning work. And even though I kind of enjoy that at some point along the way, I just kind of get bogged down and I create these, you know, these, these plans that I just don't get to the full implementation of it. And I realized like it gets boring after a while. <laughs> and so that I found is my, my biggest challenge in work is prevent it from getting boring because I can get bored easily if things get too monotonous and too predictable. And so I found that to really be productive with, say, doing a larger creative work, I have to, I have to approach it in a way that feels really fascinating and interesting and fun to me. So instead of like with the stature course as an example, uh, which was uh, recorded, like, I think in January of, in February of 2020, um, I, I just, cre you know, created like I created kind of a rough outline for the whole thing where I wanted to map it out, but I didn't map out every lesson. I didn't even know how many lessons it would be. And then each day I just kind of tuned in and thought, what do I want to, you know, what, what's next? Like, what do I want to create today? And where does the course's energy want to flow next? And I just did that from lesson one all the way up to lesson 65. And it just felt like it, eventually it got to the point where I like, I covered everything I wanted to cover and it was all woven together in this beautiful tapestry, just like from beginning to end. But I didn't know where it was going to go when I, when I first started, I didn't know exactly what subtopics would be covered. I had some ideas, uh, but that made the journey really fun because it was a process of discovery for me. What's boring, I realize, is when the work is so predictable. Like I've mapped out every lesson and now I got to do like 65 recordings and they're just all mapped out. And all I'm doing is just talking through them and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, I, I want to have that. I feel so I, even when recording the lessons, they're not scripted word for word. I would make kind of a rough outline for it and I'd outline it in the morning and often record it either later that morning or that afternoon and publish it that same day. So the lessons were, were published, generally speaking, the same day I started designing them. Like oftentimes I would start a day and I would not know what lesson I was gonna do that day. I'd just come up with the idea, outline it, go record it, edit it, publish it, and there, then there it is. And so uh, that was like part of the process. And another key piece was making it social. So having people give me feedback as we were going along so as the course is being developed with the early people who signed up for it, they get to share feedback and say, and to ask other questions or say, I really love this lesson, or I love the humor you put in this one. So I take that all as input and it helps me come up with new ideas for different lessons because it's all focused on like the relationships then with the actual customers going through the course, the people who are going to be learning from this material. That makes it more fun. That helps it stay less boring. Uh, um, that's what I, that's what one thing that really helps with that productive relationship is I launch the course before I create it. And then I co-create it with the people who are the most enthusiastic and the most trusting of me because they sign up first before it's even been created. They're willing to, you know, to buy it, uh, sight unseen. And I make, you know, I make a launch video describing it and sharing what I'm going to do. And you know, now there's a bit of a track record. So there's more, there's more trust and, um, who love the previous courses now they can go like i want to be part of the first group that goes through the next course so there's some excitement about that and what does that do it it uplifts me it makes me more motivated to do these lessons because now i'm doing them for real people i'm not just recording them you know in the dark all by myself even when you know when i'm in my my video studio doing the recordings i'm feeling the energy of the people who will be listening to it that same day that's really empowering for me so um so notice like the big picture pattern here it's all about finding where the, the, the energy is, the passion is, the excitement, the flow, the fun, the love, the connection. Um, there's so many ways to approach that. But when the relationship with the work is good, then it's just like the productivity happens easily without having to force yourself. It doesn't even matter so much what system you do. I can record a lesson in the morning or the afternoon or even late in the evening. But if the, if the, if the, if the fun and the connection and the energy is there, it will get done. I love this theme of your relationship with your work um, that appears throughout your answers uh, throughout our discussion today. I think a lot of the listeners are going to find that a very fresh way of looking at things. Um, if they want to get more of the Steve Pavlina relationship with your work wisdom or some of your other wisdom, uh, where can they find you, Steve? Um, my website, stevepavlina.com. Um, so that there's tons of free articles there. If you uh, click to go to the blog, uh, you'll see, you know, there's lots, there's an archives page with all 1700 plus articles going back to 2004. 
Um, they're, you know, they're sorted into categories too, so you can look into that. Uh, you know, if you're interested in taking a course, feel, you know, when you're ready, feel free to sign up for a course. So there's tons of material that, you know, go through for free. It would take you months and months and months to just go through all the free material if you want. Uh, the courses are meant as like structured, um, deep dives into specific topics uh, where you really want to go deep into a certain subject. Like the stature course is about character sculpting. So it's like, you know, refining your character and that relationship with your future self we talked to, I think there's a lesson on that. In fact, it's probably a big part of the course, uh, if I recall. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been, you know, I've been around long time um, blogging. So my, my, and I recently just updated my website to a new server. So it's way faster than it was before. Um, so I, that's what I love about it. It's like lightning fast now to load the pages. That I'm really happy about. That's the geeky side of it. I can see you just clicking through your own website for half an hour in a row, just just smiling totally. and giggling for how fast it is. <laughs> yes, I got frustrated with my old home. They just seemed like it was getting slow or something. And then I switched to this new um, high-frequency cloud server. You know, it's like much faster processors on it and stuff. And so it's just like lightning fast loading all the pages, which I love. Um, that's that because you know my, my background is. Uh, you know, previously a game developer and, you know, um, uh, you know, as a programmer. So that geeky side of making sure the tech works well is another thing. Like having your, having a good relationship with the technology matters to me. I pay attention to that too, when there's misalignments in business, when, when you feel like some part of your business is tugging at you, it's often because your relationship with it is not good. So I like having a relationship with really good tech, speedy, responsive stuff. And that was, that was one thing that helped me like making good tech purchases and tech decisions or deciding what service to sign up for is like, how will my relationship with this be? And you know, when something starts feeling misaligned, when your relationship with a web host starts going downhill, you're not feeling good about the support you're getting. You're not feeling good about the service. You know, it's so much of life is all about relationships. And I think, I think this is a, just a better model for our, our minds too, because it just naturally fits what we're. Uh, equipped for, you know, we're social creatures. So much of our brains are dedicated to socializing. And if so, if you use a more social relationship based model, I think it just kind of fits better intuitively. It's a little tricky to get your mind around it at first, mm -hmm. but I do think once you get used to it, it just starts making so much sense and it helps you get this new level of clarity about productivity, especially seeing what, why certain things weren't working and what to do to fix that. I love this frame. I love this lens, this way of looking at your productivity challenges, let's say challenges rather than struggles. Um, thank you very much, Steve. I'll make sure that uh, I point people to your website and to the Stature course in particular in the show notes. Um, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you, Peter. It's been a, a privilege and a pleasure. Hey, if you like the show, subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. We'd also love it if you rated the show on Apple Podcasts. To find out more about Peter or about today's guest, check out the show notes. Thank you for joining us on this episode of How They Get Stuff Done.